Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to the Touchpoint Podcast. I am so excited to be here recording live from the 27th Annual Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, what's interesting about this podcast today is that we don't have Reed with us today. He was unable to make it. However, I do have an esteemed panel of colleagues around the room here today that we're going to talk about in the show, and we're really excited to do so. But before we get there, I want to just do a little housekeeping. Many of you may know about this podcast, and if this is your first time hearing it, we're very appreciative of that. And if you've been ongoing listeners, that's great. We always encourage you to go to our website, touchpoint.health, because the Touchpoint podcast is part of the Touchpoint Media network where we have 20 different podcasts that are out there and they're all really exciting. We really encourage you to go out there and while you're there, be sure to go up, click on that little button up in the top that says the TPS report. TPS report is a weekly email that we send to you with the top five stories as curated by the House of the Touchpoint podcast. You sign up, put your email in there, and uh, you'll get a, every Monday morning, you'll get an email that tells you some of the latest stuff that's happening in healthcare. And that's all we're going to do with your email. We're not going to sell to anybody. We're not going to do anything else. We're just going to send you good, valuable content. So we appreciate you doing that. So with that, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and introduce our esteemed panel. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. I mentioned that we have a group of people around the table and that's notably something because it's been a number of years since there's been a number of people around the table to talk about healthcare. And, you know, this is a typical thing that we do at every conference. Um, in, in particular, this is one that I'm just so excited we're all here in person. So let's go around the room and let's introduce people. And I'm going to start first with my long-term friend and someone I've known for many years, and that's JK. JK, you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is JK Lloyd. I'm the president and co-founder of Eruptor. And we focus on search engine marketing, social marketing, and other digital advertising, uh, as well as risk assessments to drive patient awareness and patient acquisition. Awesome. JK, welcome to the show. Thank you. Sitting right next to him is someone that's very familiar to the show, has been on a number of times before, and that's my good friend Ahava, also a good old friend. Yes. Long term. Very long term, yes. (laughs) 
So I'm Ahava Liebtag. I run Aha Media Group. We are a content strategy and copywriting firm, and our expertise is in healthcare. So hospitals, healthcare systems, pharma, med tech, the whole nine yards. And very pleased to be here. Thank you for having all of us. Yeah, it's really awesome. Great. Now, the next person around the table here is someone that's new to our show, but not new to me. I've been working with you for a number of years now, and Vanessa, almost two full years. Uh, my colleague and peer, Vanessa Hill. Vanessa, introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. This is my first time on Touchpoint. Super <laughs> excited to be here. Um, my name is Vanessa Hill. I'm the VP of Brand Strategy and Consumer Engagement for Beth Israel Lakey Health, based in Boston. I'm Chris's colleague, uh, and my team is responsible for uh, brand identity and management, uh, content and creative development, as well as uh, social media and our brand sponsorships. Yeah, it's just great, great person to work with, and some great ideas. So, but last but not least is my good friend, also a long-standing friend. I said that about everybody here around the table because only my long-standing friends would actually show up to do this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But that's Stephen Magling. Stephen, introduce yourself. Hey, thank you, Chris. Stephen Magling, Chief Strategy Officer for Haley Sue. We are a digital performance marketing agency for health and wellness brands. Really appreciate you having me here. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad we're all here together. And let's, let's dive into that topic because we're all here together in person. I mean... It feels like we're kind of turning the tide here, right? That we all had this conference together. So please, let's talk about what does it feel like for all of us to be here in person at the conference? I mean, I'll just say that I think there's two things going on for me. One is it's so great to be here and I have so much gratitude for it. The other part of me is reflecting on the past and realizing how insane what we've done for the past two years really was like it really was not business as usual as much as we tried to pretend it was it was like oh i'll talk to you over zoom or you know i'll talk to you while i'm walking or just try to keep in touch with people and you realize how much you really missed out of those like oh I, grabbing people between sessions and having conversations at the booths and grabbing dinner with people i just think for me it's almost like I remember where we were two summers ago in Minneapolis, right? And just that that anniversary is coming up and how disruptive the virus, all the social stuff was. Yeah. We've been through a lot. Yeah, we have been. We yeah, have been. I, I agree. And I think in the early days of the pandemic, what I kept having to remind myself was this was not normal, like because it was so bizarre. And I would still go into the office each day throughout the early days of the pandemic just because I had a sense of normalcy. And I was the only person in like five or six square blocks. Like wow. I would go out walking because there was nothing else to do and there would be nobody there. And there were times during this entire two plus year journey where I thought, are we ever going to get back to some version of like what we're doing right now? Several mm -hmm. people sitting around a table having a conversation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's thrilling. I love it. Yeah, and more than just sitting around the table, right? I mean, we were there were keynote sessions, the expo hall, right, JK? I mean, yes. how does that feel to like be able to have see all these people that are your clients and potential clients yeah. walking by? Yeah, it's the same thing, echoing what they've said. It's, uh, I think we all took for granted um, just our daily lives. Yeah. Um, and every conference that we had been to in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and even when they were trying to replicate the conferences by doing virtual, right? I think quickly everyone found out that it just simply wasn't the same. Yeah. And so this is truly the, the, first, the first show and the first engagement where people are unmasked 
and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. socializing and greeting each other and hugs and all that kind of stuff. There's still some out there that like to do the elbow bump and those kinds of things that aren't quite comfortable yet with the with the hug. But it's just good to see people getting back to normal and getting back to a regular flow of life that, again, I think that we that we all took for granted. And hopefully we can use it as a lesson in the past to how we interact yeah. with each other in the future and how we treat each other and all of that good stuff. So. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I mean, there are, it's, we're all at different phases of this too. And I know there's some people that chose not to come because of the concerns around their health. And I totally get that. And I understand that. I mean, I had to have a good conversation with my wife about, you know, the risk factors and things. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think when we benefit the risk and the reward of just interacting with our colleagues, interacting with our, you know, others in the industry, this is really substantial. Vanessa, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, for me, um, I came into my role at the very beginning of the pandemic. So um, since then, we've hired a whole team. We've hired um, many vendors, some of whom are here, and I've got to meet in person for the first time. So that was um, kind of a weird dynamic. People who you've only interacted um, with on Zoom previously, where things tend to be very structured and kind of formal. Uh, So it's been nice to kind of meet people in a more social environment, I think. But, you know, just personally speaking too, I'll say that it's been a it's been kind of a lot. You know, there's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of stuff going on and you're spending your whole day um, with tons of people and I'm not used to it. <laughs> so I'm finding myself really tired at the end of the day too. But yeah. overall, I mean it's been great and um, I really do feel energized, um, circulating, so. Yeah, and it's, I feel the same way too, Vanessa, right? Get that conference fatigue. I think I talked to you about that earlier today. It's like, I'm feeling conference fatigue, and it was almost like a welcome feeling, but it's also, I wanna go back to my hotel room and just take a nap, you know? And I think that is part of that, right? It is almost overwhelming. Um, In front of the the keynote presentation, I kicked it off yesterday, and I looked out and I'm like, there's 600 people in this room. Wow, that's just crazy, right? We've come a long way, right? And hopefully, you know, we continue to keep doing this in kind of a cool way. Now, now, as we kind of think about that, um, the other thing that the topic of just like how the pandemic has shifted our landscape keeps coming up over and over again. We cannot like, you know, ignore that, right? And I think that there's this kind of perspective too, and I've noticed this a thread through a lot of the conversations and presentations and, and things that are out there, that it's not the same world that we're in. It's not the same thing, right? What are your thoughts on that, Ahava? So I, I think what you were talking about before, about the fact that so many different people have so many different feelings about coming back, how they want to you know, elbow bump or if they want to hug, I think it's just a micro example of a greater macro issue that we're having in our society, which is that we're incredibly splintered. Information is consumed and challenged differently, particularly health and science, which I don't think that we've seen before like this. I mean, other historical periods have had things like this, but you know, to see it happening in America the way that it's happening, it's just pretty shocking. And so for me to watch this develop so quickly, like, you know, 10 years ago, we would publish a blog post and people wouldn't dispute the science of it. They might dispute the ideas behind it, but they wouldn't dispute the research. And now people are like, oh, no, no, that's not true. And Mm -hmm. I think that as people, you know, I'm a content person, Vanessa's a content person, you are on the delivery side, you know, brand, um, you know, SEO, which of course can open up a whole, you know, question mark about how you're pulling people in. I think that 
more than ever, we have to really come back to our integrity and our authority on these issues and not be afraid to go out there and say, we work for the best and the brightest people in the world. These are public health advocates. They're not trying to trick you. They're not trying to make you wear a mask because they want you to be uncomfortable. Like they really genuinely are concerned about your health. And I'm not saying people aren't allowed to have their opinions and certainly that's a very important thing. But I think one of the things that's really threatening healthcare right now is I don't really believe that you care about me and you care about my health. And that's scary. I think that's a very scary place to be. That's profoundly scary to think yeah. about that, right? Because yeah. that's, that kind of flies in the face of our mission, right, Steve? Yeah, no, beautiful points. I mean, as you know, I felt like the pandemic just turned the volume up on what was already below the surface. And so this, we talk about the polarization and the politicization of virtually everything. Mm-hmm. And there, I remember seeing a session with Rob Klein and Dean Brow. They were talking about the, the low trust in hospitals like this is we've not seen this before in studies Mm -hmm. and i can only imagine some of the reasons for that are that a hospital becomes a proxy is happening in washington or whatever they don't like being said Mm -hmm. by the cdc Mm -hmm. and so it's like i feel like we have so much more work to do now to rebuild that trust Mm -hmm. and i mean that's a very complicated proposition but one that i think as communicators it's incumbent upon us to lean into yeah, we're finding that all over, right? In terms of how people engage with us from a brand perspective, engage with us on a content perspective. I remember, Vanessa, you and I would be sending out emails about vaccine communication and availability and just, you know, trying to inform our audiences. And some of the things that we heard back from those people that were responding to these emails, we just I just couldn't even believe it, right? Very bad words. Yeah. 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 But I'll say it, it was on both sides of the spectrum because on one end, we were being absolutely inundated with people calling, looking for testing and vaccine information and looking for, for guidance from their healthcare provider. But on the other side of the coin were those, you know, nasty gram email responses of, you know, I don't want this vaccine or so it really it's on, it's kind of on both ends. I think we knew that going into it that there was going to be, you know, kind of this these big groups at at either end. Um, and really it was those folks in the middle who we needed to be reaching out to and engaging with, but I think you're you're absolutely right. Well, there's a fair number of people and I'm a little extremist, but I'm also, I think a fair number of us are in the middle, right? Because I don't think that trust has gone away for a lot of people, but it has certainly dipped. I'm curious though, JK, you're in the you're in the demand generation perspective of this, right? Advertising. Have you seen fluctuations in how people respond to ads, mm. you know, because of this? Well, as you're all talking, my pea brain was going a million miles an hour. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, a couple of things that, that came to mind were folks didn't know what to do at the beginning of the pandemic. The hospitals didn't know what to do Mm because they didn't know what COVID was, where it came from, et cetera, et cetera. They were just getting this massive influx Mm -hmm. of patients and they didn't know how to handle them all. Then you've got the trust factor with the patients because they didn't trust the facilities that I'm gonna, even if I go into a hospital and don't have COVID and up for for an orthopedic procedure, and I'm not going to come back out with COVID. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen when I get there? Am I going to be on the same floor with COVID patients, et cetera? So even during the pandemic, one of the things that we found is hospitals would just shut down their service line campaigns immediately, mm-hmm. right? Because they're like, we got we have to focus on what's happening with with, with COVID, and so many of our campaigns came to a halt. Um, and so 
in that interim where everything stopped from a digital marketing perspective. The hospitals were dealing with this influx of patients and in the same token, they were needing to build trust with their patient base. Sounds like a a a massive A massive branding slash awareness slash strategy, right? And and, Mm -hmm. and as as a company, that's where we had to shift to, was to helping, was to help these hospitals to say, hey, we're still here, we're your source, we're a trusted source, Mm -hmm. right? And creating all the content, the messaging, all of those components that came with it. The third leg to the table with with all of this um, is that it really created a new era, in my opinion, of consumerism for patients, right? They have more choice now on where they can go than they've ever had. You've got telehealth, you've got all these other components, you've got these massively competitive environments between these hospitals, and now everybody's jockeying for the same patient base Right? and still trying to build trust at the same time. And then the fourth component is now hospitals are trying to refill the funnel, right? Because hospitals were hemorrhaging cash during the pandemic because they did stop all of their service line marketing campaigns and they weren't focusing on their most profitable service lines, mm-hmm. oncology, orthopedics, cardiology, and et cetera. And so now we're to the phase of now, we've, now how do we rebuild trust, create that trust, create brand loyalty, oh, and by the way, refill all of these areas that are lacking and start creating revenue back into the hospital system. So there's so many different dynamics and there's so much polarization that's still going on. Uh, but, but the hospitals, to your point, are still stuck in the center of everything mm-hmm. that's going on and they still have to drive revenue. They st- whether you're nonprofit or profit, you still have to get revenue through the hospital mm-hmm. system and patients into beds. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring and Touchpoint Media, Live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Oh, I don't have a lot of hope, and I'll tell you why. To me, it's because... You know, Charles Darwin said, it's not the strongest of the species or the most intelligent that survives. It's the one that's most adaptable to change. And I think one of the things that we see, why we see so much mistrust, is that the institutions that this country were built on can't move as quickly as the speed of communication has taken us. So I remember when Zuckerberg was being interviewed, I think it was by Grassley, and he said to him, how does Facebook make money? And you saw Zuckerberg's face. He was like, Senator, we sell ads. And there in that moment, we saw so profoundly how the United States government, which is supposed to police certain things, can't do it. The the tech firms, healthcare, everybody's gone past them. They're not designed to turn around that quickly. I used to work for the federal government. Pull me aside in a hallway at the next conference. I'll give you some great stories. So they, they're not designed to move. And these tech firms, JK's company, you know what I mean? My company, we're agile. We can move quickly. We can change. And 
you're working out a system that's been around forever and for you to get things moving, I mean, it probably feels like Sisyphus. You know, you just have to keep pushing that rock and it keeps pushing down on you. And so what I wonder is, are the healthcare leaders of today going to be willing to be adaptable and say, the hospital's at the center of everything, but we've got to figure out different ways to provide care, like telehealth. Can we break certain patterns in revenue drive drivers that we've used before that maybe would look different? Are we able to really are we really lying to ourselves when we say we really care about people's health or should we just be honest and say we're looking to drive revenue because that's what supports the people that work here and the jobs that we're trying to do and I don't know I think these are big questions and I don't see anyone really being willing to move quickly to change them mm -hmm. but I do think you do see some shining lights particularly here at this conference the real leader because leaders like to learn so they come to places like this you do see some of the leaders in the space really thinking about okay I just saw a presentation with Don Staziano at Geisinger and how they changed their whole pharmacy, Medicare Advantage program, Payvider, they call it. And it's it's exciting. It's a new model. And it took them maybe almost over a year to stand it up, but they made it happen. And I'm sure that there were hoops that they had to jump through. So I agree with all the problems JK talked about. I just don't know what the solutions are really going to look like. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. And Vanessa and I, we work inside of a hospital, um, a health system, and we're not going to like, like you know, air any dirty laundry here. But what I will say is, at least in our organization, there is this acknowledgement and awareness that a the consumer has changed. B, we are not equipped currently to adapt to that change as quickly as we want to. Um, and we're also an organization that's kind of coming together still, so we still have that inherent challenges there. I, I, but I think that you know there is this sort of sense of, yes, we need to do things differently. We can't keep doing things the same. But I think the question that I see a lot is like, how? How are we going to do it differently? What do you think? Well, it's funny that we're going here already because this was, I was saving it, but this was going to be my kind of, my takeaway yeah. is that question exactly like from a provider perspective the question that I keep hearing come up again is well how did you get that done specifically how tell me how you know what were the steps and how did you get support for it how did you convince your leadership team that this was the way to go you know how did you essentially get all of these things done to to achieve this work and you know it, it's been that I think that always comes up at these types of conferences mm -hmm. because the ideas are you know visionary or you know they so I, I'm not surprised but I will say that it has been even more than typical I think mm -hmm. I don't know is that COVID is that you know because resources have shifted or um, you know we're maybe doing things differently, you know, I don't know why, but I think that has a lot to do with it. I think I know why, and I'll just step in quickly, and then I'm sure Stephen wants to say something, but I think it's because for so long everybody was reactionary, and coming to a conference like this and starting to think about how are we gonna be proactive is making them think about, okay, I have to remember how to get support for things that I don't just have to react to. I think that might be one reason why you're seeing that happen. Stephen, what do you think? Oh, beautiful conversation. Uh, just to add to it, I. You know, I think hospitals have, you know, and people who work at the hospital level, and I'm being speaking on behalf of an agency who's always supported a hospital function, have long admitted that hospitals are slow moving and slow to change. I, throughout the entire COVID journey, I've always been trying to be an optimist. Now I always look for the upsides. Mm -hmm. One of the immediate upsides was how fast hospitals pivoted in terms of communication. Okay, everybody work from home. 
wow, that's never happened before. Uh, Stand-up telehealth, which a lot of hospitals have been pushing on for years, and suddenly in 48 hours, here we go. Mm -hmm. So I think we taught ourselves that it can be done. And what I kept hearing at this conference are really beautiful questions. Like, do we even need to be doing this anymore? Mm. Whatever that is. And I think it was on your panel, one of your colleagues said, somebody asked about physician directories. Like, do we even need to have a physician directory? Like, what a radical, just open-ended question. And I think if, if we can push ourselves to ask those questions, like, why are we here? And what you said a moment ago, like, can we be honest with ourselves? We're in the business of making money. Like, good. How do we make money and serve the common good and allow upstarts and disruptors like Dispatch Health to kind of do what they're doing really, really beautifully yeah. well? I actually think we could make more money if we cared more about people's health. And the reason that I think that is I think if we invested in proactive care, that's my word of the day, if we had patient navigators, if we had people helping people control their diabetes, control their heart, you know, navigating through cancer, those kind of things. I mean, all the studies prove that people have better outcomes when they have a coach. And so if we spent the money and invested in that, we'd have a lot less emergent cases. We'd have a lot less, you know, serious cases. But where do hospitals make money? They make money on serious cases. I'm not saying that it's designed into the system at all. I don't think anyone here is evil at all. These people, if you become a doctor, you care, well, hopefully you care about other people. But I think that there's a, an unwillingness to change the way we've done things. And it's funny, I used to run a show called What Did You Learn? Mm -hmm. Like during the pandemic, and I would ask leaders, what did you learn from this? And everyone was like, we're going to be collaborative, and silos are down, and we're going to stick with telehealth. And about six months ago, I got interviewed for another podcast, and the guy said to me, so what do you think we've learned? And I said, nothing. We have learned absolutely nothing. And I actually am a very positive person. I know I don't sound like that, but mm -hmm. literally, it, I would say November, December time, I started to hear the same things. Political, you know, land grabbing. People just, they forget what it was like in those early days of all hands on deck. I mean, that's kind of like that, that the desire of being status quo, right? We we're all used to that. We're familiar with that. And, and we have that trust, trust us within the organization. But I will say one other thing, though, that we, I have started to see in just the work that I've done. I am working with people and collaborating with people within my organization that I have never talked to before. That's fantastic. Ever, right? And it's not because I go out and seek them. It's because we're now faced with big, hairy problems to solve. It's no longer about patient acquisition. It's about how do we solve the patient access problem? How do we how do we create no longer good websites? How do we create digital experiences to help them, right? These are things that I've been thinking about for years and I've been wanting to do for years, and now suddenly it's upon us, right? And maybe it's like I'm the opportunistic leader in our organization, and Vanessa, you and I come together on these things, and we're like, yes, let's solve this big, hairy, bodacious problem, because we have to, right? But I think that part of it is, is that we've had that experience now in COVID where the boundaries were broken, because quite frankly, we were no longer ITs in that, building, marketing's over in this building, and it's, we're now all on Zoom together, right? And so it, it kind of inf it forced us to, to work together in a good way. And so I'm, I, I'm not calling you a pessimist. Thank you. I think I, I sound a little bit like one But right you now. aren't. I don't mean to be. You're being though. pragmatic yeah, and pragmatic trying to be realistic, maybe, right? Yeah. But um, I'm a little bit more optimistic, and maybe that's because I'm that way. But, you know, I really like to think that yeah, we could seize the opportunity. Now, will every health system be there? I'm not sure.
right? There are some that will continue to kind of entrench back into what they know. But in our case, this is a good opportunity for us to kind of jump towards it. Yeah, and I would just add to what I, and I'd love to hear from you all, because this is my hypothesis. My hypothesis has been, for the entirety of my healthcare marketing career, I've had to try to engage consumers who didn't necessarily want to be engaged. Who wants to hear about cancer screenings? Who wants to hear about being at risk for stroke or heart disease? And with COVID, 20-year-old people were glued into anything that they could get their hands on regarding mm-hmm. health. And I kept thinking, this is a rare moment where we've, we've, we've turned the corner and now everybody cares about health. Then we can get political all day long about how we yeah. parse that down. But it's like we have a rare moment to have a, a beautiful meaning to an audience that has, up until the day before yesterday, just wanted to turn a blind eye to the conversation of health. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, I want to latch onto that because mm-hmm. I still, I still think that there's a runway there. I think we can still be able to leverage that. I'm curious to hear what you all think. Yeah, I think about that too. And I think about like, you know, evaluating the tools that we've currently used or we have used in the past and how we do it differently. Vanessa, you and I were talking about different ways to do content strategy, right? Because now we have this, uh, you know, the overused term of the century, unprecedented opportunity <laughs> to do our content strategy a little bit different. We have unprecedented ways to do advertising differently and to do branding differently. Are we are we ready to do it? And it sounds to me like Ahava, you're a little bit more like well, let's let's dial it back. It's not all the way. The pendulum hasn't swung that far. No, I actually think the brave amongst us are totally willing to do things differently, and I think we can sell them into our organizations and get executive buy-in differently because one would say, hey, take a look at what's happened over the last two years. It can really look different. Let's try something new. I mean, we know the other way didn't work, so let's at least try this way and see if it can work. I. I, I love what you said, Stephen, about caring about people's health. Unfortunately, when I look around this conference and I look around this room, I don't see people of color represented. I don't see disadvantaged populations uh, represented. That's a big problem that we have that as healthcare marketers, we're really coming, and I know people hate this word, and I don't want to use it in that way, but whether you like it or not, we were taught to care about our health probably from our parents. Maybe there's something about you guys that I don't know, but that was always an important thing in my family. It's something I take seriously. I have a chronic health condition. I had a life-threatening illness that turned into a chronic health condition. I mean, I can tell you stories up the wazoo about being a patient and watching it from the other side. It's one of the reasons I think I'm so passionate about it. But most people are trying to decide if they can um, pay rent or pay for gas at this point. Like this is the like right now, May seventeenth, twenty twenty two. For the majority of Americans, those are the things they're thinking about. So, to worry about if they hit ten thousand steps, or to worry about a cancer screening, or you know what I mean? Like I just don't think that we're talking about the real things that would influence health and population health outcomes in this country. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I was just sitting here thinking, again, while, while, while you're talking, 
is that I'm concerned that hospitals are going because they are such slow moving ships, right? And I'm concerned that they are going to quickly forget about what's happened in the last two years and go back to doing the exact same things that they've been doing for the last hundred plus years, mm -hmm. right? And hospital systems and healthcare have always been laggards in the industry, always. So the question is, do you push through, right, and move to the other side into a new era, or do you continue to stay stuck in the past? And my feeling is, is that probably 70% of the hospitals that are out there, maybe 80% are gonna just still stay stuck in that same, in, in that yeah. same area. So I, I would love to ask you this question for those of you that work in hospitals. What do you think of death to service line marketing? I think that what JK just said is exactly the truth. They have to change the way they talk to patients. What patient really wants to hear about cancer if they haven't been diagnosed about, with cancer? But what patient wants to hear a feel-good story about the hospital in their neighborhood? So my question to you is, do you think that there's an opportunity for us to change? <laughs> I don't know that I necessarily agree with that statement that people care people don't care about cancer treatment but they do care about a feel-good story about their hospital in the they don't care about either right <laughs> well only if it's relevant to them there you go right like, right good point so i guess that's that's my thought like mm -hmm. you can't kill service line marketing because people need those services so you need to find them somewhere or mm -hmm. share that you know you offer those services but i think what you're maybe getting at is um reaching people in a more authentic emotional um way as opposed to you know just kind of pushing out content that's all about us what, what she just said. That's what I meant. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll add to that, Vanessa, because I agree with you. There are certain people that are very much caring about where I need an orthopedic, I need a knee replacement, or I need this, or I need, I've been diagnosed with cancer, and I need to know where there are certain people. Now, that's not the broad majority. We all know that. We've been talking about that for years, too, right? I mean, I just talked to Chris Bevelo. He has a whole book series about this topic, right? But the whole point is, though, is that I see what you're saying. Um, Ahava, I really do, because we are at a point now where we have multiple options to get care. Okay, and honestly, in any market, including the market that Vanessa and I serve, there are multiple ways to get care. Right, uh, whether you can access that care is is a big hindrance, and particularly for those disadvantaged people that don't look right. Um, and access does get into the money aspect of it too. And I think, and I agree that that is a is a big consideration. But I think the other thing is is that if they have the luxury to make those decisions, what consumerism really is. Um, you know, people make those decisions all day long on where they get groceries or where they go to dinner. And even people that are like maybe, you know, that are even struggling, they do make slight decisions around that. What, what can we do as an industry, as, as health systems, to give them the other side of the equation, the, the part of our, who we are that will help them say, oh, actually, these people do care about us, 
yeah, I need knee replacement, but boy, I'd rather go to an organization that serves our community this way as opposed to the for-profit. Now, Vanessa, what do you think? You're, you're shaking your head. I know. Well, I think that only this is only a small slice of marketing. Yeah. Really what I think we're saying is we should be redesigning service lines and the experience that people are having to serve their needs better and yes marketing is a piece of that or communications right Mm -hmm. but but like overall marketing can only communicate the reality of the experience that people are having true see i disagree with that see what i was trying to say is is that i agree with what you're saying about the patient experience and focusing on that what i disagree with is the fact that i think and this is what i meant when i said what have we learned Service line, I think service line marketers are really smart people and they really understand their service line, but their one service line is not the only experience that patients are having. And so what I think you see a lot of times on websites, in marketing, on ad spend is these service lines get the money and these service lines get the attention. But the service line marketers who are doing the work, what would it look like if they could pool all their resources? And instead of only focusing on cancer, they could also work on some of the stuff that operationally downstream happens to cancer patients that they could actually make their entire experience look different. Like we create content for the top of the funnel and the middle of the funnel, and then Epic creates the content for the bottom of the Mm. funnel. That's bad, right? Because Epic doesn't care about making it patient friendly or, you know, plain language or any of that kind of thing. So that's what I mean when I say, you know, the end of service line marketing is what I'm really saying is free these people from these arbitrary, weird constraints we've created Mm -hmm. and let them really think about how do I make sure that this patient who just got diagnosed with cancer gets out healthy and has whatever I can control, because marketing operations can't control everything, but gets the best possible support that marketing can provide in that journey. That's really, I think, yeah. we're kind of saying the same thing. Yeah, but I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And what about primary care as a service line? For, I mean, right? <laughs> no, it runs out. Yeah. Totally. Right. Wow, we could do a whole episode on that. Stephen, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I know you're thinking things over there. Well, I want to come back to something you said, Ahava, a few minutes ago, where you acknowledged that around this table, you know, the, the, the complexion of the people at this table don't represent the broader tapestry of the human experience. Mm-hmm. And in the early days of COVID, I began volunteering at a childhood obesity clinic. And they were set up to take care of kids who are seven years old and who have arthritis, 10-year-olds who are stroke risks. Like, this is like hardcore stuff. And the population typically are people of color, high, low income, very low income. And the executive director, Jeanette, was explaining to me the challenges of just getting the kids through the program. She said, yeah, we can teach the kids how to eat better. We can show mom certain ways to make nutritious meals. But mom, because of COVID, is now working three jobs instead of two jobs. And so the fundamental impact of how difficult a person's life experience is, is so far removed from the boardroom. It is so far removed from the profit motives of organizations that are not for profit or for profit so i think what's the role of a marketer to be the ambassador of the human experience and to Mm -hmm. make sure that we're bringing as much i'm a white dude who's tall and that's who i am but i can also acknowledge and respect here's all of our population and how do we appeal to them in our own unique ways because everybody has those challenge points wow 
those are, I mean, you could clearly see there's a lot of topics that we're ta- discussing here. Big, heady topics. Clearly, our industry still has some changes ahead of us. I like, I want to kind of leave our conversation in the more optimistic way with you, Stephen. I think that's right. I like that being brand ambassadors of the entire human experience. I may say that because I'm also a tall white dude, but you know, I understand that. But I, I sincerely mean that. I think that all of our conversations have been really good. Before we close out the show today, let's leave it a little bit a little higher level. Every time Reed and I do the show, at the very end, we always kind of bring up, um, you know, recommendations of things that are kind of going on in our lives. And since we've all been living kind of our own lives for two years, I know we've been connecting on Zoom and stuff, but um, I'd love to hear a recommendation from each and every one of you. Who wants to go first? JK? I'll just... Mine isn't a book or a TV show. My recommendation is get outside and enjoy what has been given to you naturally. The leaves, the trees, the birds, the water, all the things that uh, we have been probably missing pretty acutely over the last couple of years. Just enjoy what you have. I like that. I love that. Yeah. We just went for a walk earlier and it was just gorgeous out and yeah, that just like aligning to to Mother Earth. How about you, Ahava? So that's actually what I was going to talk about. My daughter and I are doing the ten thousand step challenge, and at the beginning of COVID, I group of neighborhood women all got together and we like got into teams and did this whole step challenge. And I walked like twenty six thousand steps a day. And wow! Like, there was nothing else to do. You could just be on the phone or Zoom or talking. So that's what I did. And listen to podcasts and newscasts about, you know, the New York Times Daily, like, hide under your bed. But anyway, so I, and then I hurt my hip. And that was a real health experience for me. Like, I gained weight. I didn't have the same activity. I wasn't motivated to do things. I didn't have the same energy. And so I was, you know, I got better with physical therapy. But, like, I had access to all these things. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could go online and search, like, cures for a labral tear in your hip. Like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, it was just such an interesting experience watching everything going on with the pandemic and then, like, dealing with this, like, small health emergency that I was having and just watching the difference and navigating it. But in any case, I, I've gotten very attached to my Apple Watch. And I've actually gotten very attached to the data that it provides. And it actually, like, gives me, like, a daily goal. It feels controllable. It feels like something I can do I get one day off a week which I think is important and I don't know I, I agree like going outside walking being as physically active as possible just remembering how grateful we are for all the things that we have I think that's yeah. been my lifeline over the last you know few months it's really been helpful wow Boy, with these two it's gonna be hard to follow up with like a favorite book or something but let's go ahead and do it Vanessa come on like, don't no. don't feel the pressure what, what is your recommendation do it we love it so this is this is escapism I guess but um so there's an account that I follow that I love it's called things I bought and light and um, do you follow mm-hmm. them too hilarious so um it's it's probably geared more toward a you know a female or those who identify as female target shopper yes uh lots of amazon finds um (laughs) but um i i absolutely love it and i trust this person who is anonymous and doesn't reveal her identity immensely (laughs) because all of her recommendations are spot on so it's been 
helpful. The things, the recommendations are typically really affordable, and I can't tell you how many times I've actually clicked right through and bought um, kind of sight unseen the item, usually from Amazon or you know mm -hmm. another you know online retailer. That's cool. What's it called again? Things I bought and liked. Gonna go, gonna go follow that right after the show. She's hilarious. Very mm -hmm. funny too. Great mm -hmm. humor. That's mm -hmm. a good find. Steven. Well, I'll say if you're not out walking, like J.K. and I think you should definitely read this book. It's got, I had to pull it up on Amazon. It's called Subliminal, How Your Unconscious Mind Rules Your Behavior. Have you guys heard of this book? Yes. I, someone recommended that to me just yesterday. I think I have heard Tell of us it. more. Okay, like literally, it's one of the most dog-eared books I own now because every page has dog a beautiful insight. So it's basically the premise is 95% of our thoughts happen at the unconscious level to the point where not we're not even aware of the thoughts and feelings. So by using a science perspective, um, you're able to identify like thoughts and feelings and how we make decisions, whether or not we know it how even if traditional focus groups are kind of bogus because when you ask a person why do you feel that way what you're going to get is actually probably not true mm. yeah so just mm. put into amazon subliminal um and you'll find the book you know, i bet you your tar retargeting ads will be great too <laughs> right jk indeed okay i'll end up with my 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 recommendation is going to be something that's just um, it, I, I've been thinking about it the last couple of days because we've been here at the conference. We're blessed to be at this conference. Let's just admit that, right? We have the capacity, the ability to be here. We have the time to take off of work to do that, etc. I'm going to recommend wherever you can, find opportunities to learn and educate yourself and keep growing because we can't be stagnant. We can't be status quo. So if it's a webinar that's free and there's plenty of them still out there, if it's a conference that you can go to, if it's just picking up the phone and doing a call with you, Ahava, as you're walking around or, Please you know, call me. yeah, exactly. <laughs> or whatever it may be, like take the opportunity to be curious to find out more, to learn more, because quite frankly, we got a lot of things that we have to solve for, and we are really super smart as individuals, and we really are passionate about our industry. So my recommendation is as high level as yours are, JK, you started with the high one about enjoy nature, enjoy your mind, enjoy exploring and growing your mindset. That's gonna be my recommendation. And a thank you to all the teachers that taught me to really appreciate how to learn. Wow. It's been a great conversation, guys. Thank you so much. Um, really quickly, before we close, people might want to find out about you online. Why don't you quickly share like how people can find you? JK, you start. Just eruptor.com, E-R-U-P-T-R.com. AhaMediaGroup.com, A-H-A-M-E-D-I-A group.com. Uh, Vanessa Hill, you can find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, on LinkedIn, Stephen Bagling. It's M-O-E-G-L-A-N-G. And your company? Haley Sue. Yeah. We'll put all of this in the show notes. I, I'm Chris Boyer. We're the best place to find me. Go to our website, touchpoint.health. And while you're there, subscribe to the TPS report. Um, we miss Reed. Reed, you're here in spirit. Um, he and I will be back to do another show next week. We're really excited about that. But uh, for everybody here, and on behalf of Reed Smith, we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.